Hey, Schwang here. I hope you're enjoying our special limited series, Learn with Shopify. Before this episode, I'm hoping you'll take a moment and tell us how we can make our podcast even better. Head on to shopify.com survey to give us your feedback and you can win some awesome merch and gift cards. Again, that's shopify.com survey. Thanks and enjoy this episode. So I started buying and kind of bringing things in based on what people were asking me for. So my business was good in that way because, and I've always kind of said this, is like I've benefited from just listening to the business and listening to the people that are coming through. Welcome to Learn with Shopify. I'm Shwang Esther Shan. This episode is for all of you who want to turn your passion for handmaking crafts into a successful business. Today, I'm joined by Brittany Hopkins. She's the founder of Anise Jewelry. From sourcing to creating custom pieces and offering vintage gems, Brittany's going to share with us how she went from taking jewelry making lessons to running her own retail boutique and online store. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you loved making jewelry as a kid. You went to jewelry making school. But in 2008, when you started your business, you wanted your own online store instead of an Etsy store like most people. What was behind that decision? Uh, A very naive start. Um, I I really just wanted to be independent kind of right from the get-go. I think in hindsight, you know, there wasn't going to be a whole lot of traction coming to my website at that time because I was so new. But I also wanted to start to try my own thing. I think that was more what it was, whereas Etsy had sort of a framework that you could follow. And I was still kind of figuring out who I was as a brand and having my own Shopify e-commerce store um, gave me an opportunity to to kind of play around with different templates and just kind of have my own home base. So. Mm-hmm. And I think having your own online store comes with its own challenges. Um, With Etsy, it's a marketplace. There's people visiting. There's traffic. So how did you bring traffic to your own site? I hit the pavement. <laughs> yeah, it was really about getting gaining exposure through doing various shows and markets. And then I started doing custom jewelry. So the word of mouth of just, you know, doing a project and then having someone else tell their friend or, or someone else that, that I had done that for them. It was pretty organic how my following started. And so, and yeah, I mean, I think, again, it could it have been more if there was that traction already gained um, through a marketplace like Etsy. That could have been an interesting thing to explore, but it was neat to see it grow that way in that organic way. Yeah. And I feel like when you do a good job with custom jewelry, it becomes the marketing piece for your brand. More people will ask about it. um, And that's kind of how it drives the momentum. Um, In aspects of paid marketing and social media ads, what did you experiment with? We've experimented with a lot over the years. When I first opened my store, Instagram had only just started. So it was it's so wild to think of how the tool has changed. I used to post six times a day, if you wow. can believe it. As we do custom jewelry on the spot. So it was fun to be able to take pictures of pieces that we were making for people that day and how they were feeling about it. And then it was a great tool for us at that time because then people could relate and think like, oh, I want to go make a piece of jewelry like that. Or our old Treasures New Love facet where we would rework, you know, your grandmother's pearls and someone would see that and say, I have that. And so it really worked well um, as a tool for us when we first started. And then I've done lots of different paid marketing and different ads and different things here and there. And and some things have worked, some things haven't. 
moment, but I would say for sure still the thing that holds true and has been our, our strongest um, form of marketing is still through word of mouth because jewelry is also based on trust. And so the amount of trust that I build with people on their custom projects and there's, they're trusting me with their special moments, right? So if we succeed at that, then they're, yeah, they're talking about that and they're telling other people. And that's, especially after now 10 years, the amount of people that still continue to come back is pretty amazing. And you've done some press uh, TV-wise and also features on different media. Um, how has been developing that PR uh, repertoire and just reaching out to different outlets been? Uh, it's been good. A lot of it's come to us, uh, which has been I'm very thankful for. <laughs> um, I would love to do more for sure. I, I think that there's, uh, especially now, making it through the pandemic. Now I would love to explore, you know, doing more more press and, and talking more about what makes us so unique because I think we really honed into what makes our business so unique, especially over the last two years when doing all that kind of assessment on what works and what doesn't because we had that time with the pandemic. Um, so I'm certainly interested to explore those platforms more. I want to ask about uh, finances and inventory a little bit because I would assume raw materials is pretty costly. So how did you go about managing investing in inventory and materials while building up this business? When I first started, custom was, it made the most sense because I was buying things based on what people needed. So that really helped get me off the ground because I was really specializing in that. Like that was my main focus. And then when I started making my own collections, I really was quite cautious with how much I would do. And it was it was a bit of a risk because obviously, you know, I'm going to make something and I'm going to hope that somebody's going to buy it. Um, but after I started my store, I started seeing buying trends and how people would kind of operate in my space and doing the custom on the spot. I'd, I'd actually get really inspired by what people would be wanting to make with me like in that moment. So I started buying and kind of bringing things in based on what people were asking me for. So my business was good in that way because, and I've always kind of said this, is like I've benefited from just listening to the business and listening to the people that are coming through. Um, so I kind of get led by my customers, I guess, in that way. Mm -hmm. So there's still a financial risk and a commitment for sure. And the price of gold right now is wild. Um, so there's always that little bit of risk, but we carry more samples and, and kind of moderate our inventory that way. And we really focus on just working with people and what they want. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like custom was such a great entry point for you to manage all of that. Um, I have a question about, I guess there's a part of the business is jewelry that's been made by other manufacturers, a very small portion. Um, so how did you tackle that side of the business, finding the right partners and also knowing which designs would resonate with your customers? For sure. Um, so we're predominantly a team of metalsmiths that we make our collections ourselves in-house. Um, and then I've also outsourced to other metalsmiths that I've met through the industry. And again, building trust, right? It's it's just like how I have trust with my gem dealers or my, or my metalsmiths. We've just kind of worked together and tried different projects together. And so, you know, there's definitely been people I've worked with in the past and we just don't really connect on, on design vibe. Um, I think it's really putting in the time, I guess, and building those relationships. And then when it comes to manufacturers, again, it's just been trial and error. Like there's, you start to figure out, you know, okay, I'm going to get this chain from this place because this, because they have the best of that. And then this place has the best metal of this. And, you know, it's kind of like mm -hmm. any industry you start to, once you've have, those years under your belt, you start to kind of have your little spots for everything.
And tell us a little bit about recruiting these metalsmiths because you're entrusting them with your brand and they're essentially becoming a part of the story as well. So how do you go about selecting people to join this family of sorts? So I went to George Brown and took goldsmithing, a jewelry arts program, and they have an internship program as well. And so I've been really fortunate to have a lot of interns come through the program and work for me. And then I've hired a lot of them. Or whenever I'm hiring, I put it out to the teachers there and let them know the positions. And um, I've, I just have had the most amazing luck with building this amazing team of metalsmiths who now can take over the work that I would have been doing on the bench because I realized quickly early on I wasn't going to be able to do it all. It was sort of like run the business or be on the bench. Um, and what I look for in them is what they love about jewelry and mm-hmm. how they light up about creating. And that for me is like, it's truly been my my greatest passion is creating with people. And so if, you know, if I see that in them and then I also see their amazing talent and, you know, outside of the box thinking is also something that I look for. And that's been so cool because they've now brought so much so much new to even how I would have thought about maybe making something or working with a t- working with a client, um, and now we're a team of metalsmiths. We're a team of creatives, and this business that I built on my own is so much more than I could have imagined because of those people that are now on my team. Mm-hmm. And I think you mentioned still ninety percent of uh, the inventory or the pieces are made by hand, um, or they're custom made, or maybe they're vintage, so they're unique. Um, tell us about how you go about building the different product pages, because I know that there's going to be a lot of it. How did you perfect that process? I would say we're always working on perfecting <laughs> that process. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like there are going to be so many products and then it's like, it's, you know, does less is more work? And um, what we've broken it out into now is sort of our essentials and then our one-of-a-kind. And the one-of-a-kind jewelry is often a mix of old and new and where we've taken, you know, we've repurposed old pieces to make them totally one-of-a-kind, which was my passion when I first got into jewelry because I thought, okay, so if everything's, there's so much jewelry that's already made out there, at least if I put something that's old on every piece that I make, nobody can duplicate it. That was really kind of how I got started with that. Um, And that is also expanded in that people really connect to that one of a kind piece because it's sort of, it's like a meant, a meant to be situation, right? Um, So we have that facet um, or that category, I guess, in its own way on the site. And then we have our essential items, which are your like everyday. So your classic hoop, your classic chain. um, And we've merchandised it on the site in a way that's like easier to shop for whatever you're sort of looking for. Like, are you looking for something that's really unique? Are you looking for something that's a little bit more whimsical or Mm -hmm. like, you know, really different? Or are you just looking for something that's classic? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, but it's taken us a long time. I mean, there was a major mishmash, especially before (laughs) before the pandemic. It was not so curated. I would say. And then in aspects of the COVID impact before, you know, all of your one-of-a-kind pieces were shot on body, it's a great, you know, intensive process. Um, And then you really had to hone that process on your own. So Mm -hmm. tell us how you perfected that. It's so interesting to think back to the way that my mind worked before COVID had had hit us and and we had to really sort of revamp every process. I had it in my mind that we needed to have on body because I wanted to show how jewelry was worn. And I, I still think it's very important because if, you know, you need to see how where a chain might hit someone if, if you're shopping it and it's just on a flat lay, you don't necessarily know that. But I was limiting us to only doing the on body because 
we would have a photographer come in. It was this whole big process. And in hindsight, it was way more time and way more effort than we should have been putting in and absolutely no profit on any piece that was selling on the mm -hmm. website at that time. But it looked really beautiful. Um, the only thing is it looked really beautiful for a moment and then it would be gone because the minute you get it up, then it's gone. Then you have to go through that whole process again. So when um, the pandemic hit and we had to close and I was, I was by myself in my space, um, I was forced to think about how I could take those pictures and get them online by myself. And it wasn't happening with a selfie. <laughs> so I started doing flat lays and started doing it in a way that was trying to bring like the essence of what makes our space so special for people. Because that's always been a challenge for me between, you know, having an e-commerce or an online store and then my, my physical store. I know that when you walk into my store, I can impress you with the vibe, the smell, the look, the sparkle, my energy, you know, and we can make it really personable and memorable for you. And that's what I, I sort of had to be, I had to get into an uncomfortable position with, if I can't give that to you, you can't walk in to the space, how can I make that happen for you online? And so, you know, we started putting glitter and dried flowers in our flat lays and just trying to create that feel from the look of the picture and also the overall site with all the visuals. Yeah, you're bringing a bit of the store to mm. people online and getting the essence of Anise online as well. Yeah. Um, tell us about, you know, custom pieces are so personal and there's so much interaction. Um, so how did you transition that with COVID and bring that custom building process online for customers as well? That was also a real panic moment. Like, how am I going to do this if you're not right here in front of me, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I started, you know, playing around with Instagram videos and putting my face on our Instagram, which I've always been a little bit nervous to do. And my, I have an amazing web team that thankfully I had hired right before the pandemic hit and they really helped me um, and he said to me like you gotta get you have to put your face on there you have to like go you have to do it and so I sucked it up and I started being a little bit unapologetic about it like just talking about how much I love creating custom with people and then showing our treasure drawers and showing the process of like you know okay we can choose a chain we can choose a treasure we can do this actually all on FaceTime or on Zoom or however we like if you can't be here I can still bring it to you mm -hmm. and you know, it was baby steps, but it started to become actually really easy and really cool. And now we still do that even though we're open and it changed my business forever. Being able to do that with somebody who's in, you know, Vancouver or Edmonton or, you know, outside of Toronto or doesn't want to make the drive or doesn't feel safe to come in, we can still bring that really special personalized thing to them. And Anise has a lot of workshops as well, so individuals can come in and actually make a piece. Tell us about those workshops and events that really adds to the business. Hmm. The workshops are one of my favorite parts of our business because it does create such an interactive, fun experience. And it's so neat to see people who come in and say, I'm not, I'm not creative. Like, why am I here? I'm just here for my friend's birthday. And then by the time they're leaving, they're like, I made a necklace. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And they're so proud and you get to see them kind of go through this really neat um, creative process. So it's always been a big part of what we do. And uh, it was a sad moment when, when those were not allowed to happen, obviously, with COVID. But we did shift them to become a, kind of a virtual experience as well. So we do online workshops where we build you a kit. We It's all complete with tools and all of the things that you would need to put the piece together. And we send it out to you and then we can do it from from home. So um, so yeah, it's it's also kind of now a full virtual online experience and also an in-person experience.
Mm -hmm. And it's also a cool way to have a different revenue stream and potentially bring in people like traffic-wise into the store online as well. Absolutely, yeah. That word of mouth that I'm talking about, I would say that a a ton happens from a workshop because a lot of people are coming because there's one person that booked it, there's one person that knew about the store. And then when all of these people come to the workshop and they have an amazing experience, they're like, I want to come for another one. Or they become lifelong customers. And for me, when I started my business, it was... I just was always so scared of what happens if people don't come in. Like what happens if it's just a slow day and I don't make a sale of jewelry. I always want to have some kind of revenue stream happening behind the scenes. And so workshops bring that, custom jewelry brings that, repair, et cetera. Let's talk a little bit about retail because I think there are makers out there that want their own physical space. Um, So tell us about how you went around and picked a location for your store and what are some key steps that people should think about when they're trying to build a retail space? Building the retail space, it's – and I – I remember reading in business articles and books, location, 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 and it's honestly so, so true. I think it's so important that you research where you are going to be and making sure that you're paying attention to the traffic, paying it, like talk to other retailers that are in the neighborhood that you might be curious about. I almost opened my store in a neighborhood that was really not, it hadn't hit yet. It has now, but I would have been doomed if I had actually gotten the space that I wanted. I just fell in love with a space, but I didn't pay attention to what was actually happening in the neighborhood and I didn't get it, thankfully. And then a friend of mine um, had a shop in Kensington Market and the space next door to him was becoming available and it was just like a meant to be sort of moment and timing. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened to us because the tourism was there, the traffic on the weekends was there, the pedestrian Sundays were there. I mean, people were already coming to that area. So they found me because they were there. They didn't find me because they had to come to me to find me, you know. Um, So I would say location is really huge to do your research on and making sure that there's nothing like you around, like that you're bringing a unique offering to the to the location that you're going to, right? Like I was the jewelry store in Kensington Market. I'm the jewelry store now on Ossington. You know, like it's um, it's important to maybe be like somewhat, like there's something to be said about being close to competitors sometimes because it's like how all, there's all the coffee shops, you know, but people will somehow go to all of them or spread the love around. Um, I think you just want to be making sure that you're not in an overly saturated thing to your industry. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's also something to be said about complementary goods. There's a lot of fashion brands and clothing stores on Ossington, but to your point, there's no jewelry store. So maybe some people looking for an outfit will drop by for some accessories. Exactly, for sure. And the people are coming to the neighborhood to go for brunch or to go for dinner and just to have a fun like day or night out, right? So they might pop into a jewelry store and make a bracelet on the spot that they totally weren't expecting to do, but they've had a little boozy brunch and they might want to have a, a bracelet to go with it, you know? <laughs> so right. we, yeah, we vibe with that for sure. Um, I wanted to ask about the financial commitment of a retail space um, because, you know, there's rent that, Every month needs to be paid. So how did you tackle that side of running a retail store? Yeah, it's I know that's a real point of kind of contention with people when they're thinking about opening a business and maybe going just online or having a store. And even for me, I've thought, why do I do this? Like, why do I have so much overhead for this business? It makes it so complicated and makes it scary sometimes, especially when you have to shut down. However, because my business and because I'm so so big on people and, and that's always been a passion of mine is actually working directly physically with people, it's always been worth it because that's how I end up feeling so fulfilled. Um, so that's where I kind of 
built my business in, to be such an interactive physical experience um, so that the rent wasn't so much of a big deal. Like it's just something that right from the get-go, I knew the rent was going to be my biggest expense. So I had to b- build the business to make sure that we were always going to be able to pay that and then some, right? But it's not for everyone. You know, I think you have to really think about what kind of business you have. And I think about some stores that ha- have like big spaces and not a lot of traffic or some restaurants that put a ton of money into a space and then are paying huge rent and then don't even end up opening the doors because they've, you know, they've hit themselves with so much expenses they can't even, you know, get past it. So there's a lot of planning, I think, that needs to go into your business before you open a physical location, I would say, as I'm just thinking out loud right now with that, because the business plan that I did at the very beginning before I opened was the best thing I ever did. Looking at how you were actually like, how are you going to pay your rent if nobody comes in that day? You need to think about those things. If you don't take the time to think about that before you open, you that might be you're like, oh, shoot, now I'm here and there's nobody here. What do I do? And then it's too late, right? It sounds like the workshops also act like a security blanket. It's like a guarantee that this is going to happen and people will come in in addition to being like a marketing engine as well. Exactly. Like if I was to talk like, you know, transparently about finances, it's like if we have a couple custom projects going on and then we have a couple workshops booked and you look at the revenue that that's going to bring in and then that covers the rent and then that covers the labor, then that part of the business is good and we can keep going. Obviously, you don't want to just be like, breaking even all the for years and years and years with your business the goal is to do more than that but yeah I think you know having that security blanket if you can is is key Mm -hmm. so you started the online store in 2008 the retail store in 2012 and having a 10-year anniversary Um, looking back can you share some major milestones that you felt like that was a great business decision and really propelled you to the next level Yeah, I think um, opening the store in the first place was definitely the right thing to do. I mean, I was doing a lot of custom jewelry and had I kept going in the way that I was doing it, I think I would have actually like failed before I even really took off because I wasn't doing it in the most professional way, riding my bike around the city and dealing with people in coffee shops. Um, and, uh, and then when we expanded to Ossington, that was a really scary move, but it was the best move that we could have made because the other thing was that we grew really fast. And then all of a sudden we were kind of bursting at the seams in Kensington. And I mean, I was cramming 10 people in a workshop in my small space. And had I kept doing that, I I see where there's these moments in business where you're doing really well, but you can hinder yourself if you don't like, you know, understand what maybe people need to have a more elevated experience. Um, And I think sometimes we experience that where it's like you could just keep it really tight and really like, you know, on a financial side or whatever. I think Mm -hmm. it's really about providing the best experience for my customers. Um, So I listened to that that at that three-year mark and knew we needed a bigger space. And then Ossington was just starting to kind of build as well. And I thought if there's another neighborhood we could be in, maybe it could be that because that tourism is going to come. And that was seven years ago. And now it's busier and more tourist, touristy than ever. So, um, so yeah, there's been lots of, you know, those kinds of moments. And like I said, I'm just like always listening to my business. I'm always listening to my staff and my customers and they teach me on what we need. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's kind of the biggest thing. So. And what about, I guess, the mental hurdles that makers need to make um, in order to be a business owner? Mm Because a lot of the times people want to be making the items every day and they don't really adjust like their mindset into, you know, being Mm -hmm. a business owner, taking on different responsibilities and letting go of some of the other responsibilities. 
For sure. It's such a hard balance. I, I can say that even today, my retreat is making. So if it gets really stressful or it gets really, you know, there's something like I have accounting to do, I want to just make jewelry. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you don't, don't want to study and you want to just clean your house, but you never really want to clean your house. So with jewelry, it's um, it's my safe place and it's my happy place. And I think for most makers, that's the case, like for artists or makers. Um, it's really challenging to then put yourself in the discomfort of what might mean a risk with business. But I think that you have to decide, do you want to make? Like I have amazing makers that have made for me, but maybe don't want to have their own business. That's awesome. Like it's important to know that about themselves. I love that because then I can provide a job for them. And then we have a great situation that both of us are benefiting from. But if you want your own thing and you want your own business and you want to be the maker that does that, you're going to have to get uncomfortable. And you're going to have to make sure that you do your due diligence to understand how you're going to stand out in the crowd, how you're going to do something that's different. Um, and I think if it starts to feel too uncomfortable, then maybe that's when you know that it might not be the thing that you want to do as your own business. Like, you know, you have to me- be able to measure that risk and, and understand what kind of benefit you want to get out of the work that you're doing, if that makes sense. Sounds great. Um, and then lastly, looking forward, any exciting projects um, that you can tell us about for Anise Jewelry? Yeah, very exciting project. Um, we're opening our second location in Prince Edward County on June 1st, our 10th anniversary this year. So super excited to get out there. It's been a dream of ours for a really long time as it's been expanding and booming out there as it is. Um, we're going to be looking forward to doing a lot of bachelorette workshops out there and um, doing our custom on the spot. We're going to be in Wellington on Main Street and it's just going to be a fun, fun summer of lots of interactive jewelry out in the country. Amazing. I'm so excited for you and your team. Thanks for being here, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me. Brittany Hopkins, the founder of Anise Jewelry. Thank you.